You're listening to the Umfree Parents Podcast, episode 046. You're seen to chat about life, family, and of course, Umfree's McGee. I'm Sarah Jehemiak, podcast host, writer, mom of three, wife, and total Umfree. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the show. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode a recap of the band's recent two nights at the Belly Up in Aspen, Colorado, as well as their appearance at the Apres Festival, also in Aspen. There is a link in the show notes where you can check that out if you haven't already done so. And since the band is on a little bit of a well-deserved break, this week's episode, I'll be bringing you guys my next interview. And I'm very excited to have my next guest on. If you are in the Umfreak Parents group on Facebook or the Raptors, I don't have any idea what the hell the name of that other group is on Facebook. Um, but if you're listening and you're a member of that group, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, then you may recognize our guest's name author and attorney Harlan York. He is a very knowledgeable guy about a bunch of different subjects. I'm grateful to have had the pleasure of raging next to him on night three during the recent Brooklyn run. And I'm very grateful that he took the time out of his very busy schedule to be on the show. Harlan is regarded as one of the leading immigration lawyers in the United States and was the first attorney in New Jersey to win Immigration Lawyer of the Year from Best Lawyers. He has also written a book called Three Degrees of Law, which we do chat about briefly in the interview. He was nice enough to send me a copy. I've not given it a read yet, but it is my next one to read. Um, I've read some really great reviews about it, and they mention, as does Harlan in our chat, um, it's not just for people in the law profession. It's for anyone who's looking to really get a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment out of what they do um, in their life, no matter what it is. And so I thought that was really, really cool. I'm all about books like this. So, you know, if that's something that piques your interest, definitely check it out. Um, And it was actually also called a valuable resource for all professionals by 201 Magazine. That's very cool, too. He has also appeared on Charlie Rose and has also done lectures about immigration law at Columbia University, New York Law School, and Rutgers Law School. So basically, if you have any questions about immigration law, Harlan is the guy to ask. He is so smart, as I mentioned, and you're really going to love this conversation that we have. And really quick, before we get into it, I do want to mention, I asked Harlan what song he would love to hear Umphrey's cover, Um, and the song he says, I'm not going to mention it, I want you to listen to the interview, Um, but I looked it up after we were done chatting, and come to find out they actually did tease it. Never actually played it, but they did tease it. Um, So, yeah, just a little tidbit there. So stay tuned for that in the interview. And without further ado, here's my chat with attorney and author Harlan York. Enjoy. 
I'm here with Harlan York. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Before you came on, I gave a brief history of everything that you've done professionally, uh, one of the leading immigration lawyers in the country, author, and all the other things I mentioned before. That's quite the resume that you have. Congratulations on all that you've accomplished, no doubt from lots and lots of hard work. Thanks, Sarah. My mom's very proud of me, too. I'm sure. I'm very, very sure. So with that all in mind, um, I have to ask, when you are at a show and you're just kind of conversing with people um, and the subject of what you do comes up and you say, oh, I'm an immigration lawyer, how do people react to that? A lot differently than they did in let's say the first 20 years I was practicing, in the last three years, I would say because immigration is always in the news and it's constantly on social media, people have a lot more questions than they used to have. And I typically remind them that although it is obviously a hot button topic now 24 seven, that virtually all of the things that the media discusses on immigration predates this president. There are some new policies that have been put in place that are not good regardless of people's political opinions and affiliations. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's pretty ubiquitous now. Everybody has an opinion on it, and they certainly want to hear mine as a professional. Oh yeah, I'm very sure they do. Um, so let's dig into the family stuff first. Tell us about your family. You are married and you have children, correct? Indeed. I've been married for 22 years to an amazingly patient woman who, before our children came along, I dragged all over the East Coast to see Minwee Fish shows in those days uh, when we met. We were younger, and those were in the sort of like heyday of the Grateful Dead, and she's a good sport and has gone with me to see Humphreys a couple times as well. She likes their music, but you know, doesn't love it, but she definitely is a good sport about it. Our whole family, my daughter is 17, she'll be 18 this month. She's going to college this year, and my son Owen, he's 15. Our whole family has attended several bands together. We did Red Rocks, Widespread Panic last summer. We did Fish one of the nights at Baker's Dozen as a family. We've done Steely Dan a couple times as a family at the Beacon. So we have had some good concert experiences together in the context of what you and I are talking about today with music and enjoying that as a family. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So how did you meet your wife? I met her freshman year in a dorm in college at State University of New York at Albany. Mm -hmm. And I saw her, and this will tell you how long ago this was. I was waiting to use a payphone, and so was she. And uh, that was in 1987. And I asked her out, and she said back those days when we were still teenagers, the old we just should be friends thing. And that was kind of the way it was back in college. And then I went to law school down in New Orleans for several years. We lost touch with one another, and then we kind of reconnected in the mid-'90s. And at that point, we ended up becoming a couple, and the rest is history. That's very, very cute. I love that. Um, Thanks. So your son, Owen, has played with Umphreys. I believe that was in 2016. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. That was that was really kind of a surreal time. Um, I had a roommate in boarding school back in the day who went on to become a well-known fest promoter 
Paula Vine, he puts on Bear Creek and Swanee Halloween. And we'd see each other from time to time at boarding school reunions and so forth. And, uh, you know, you get to talking about all the things that you would. And he said, oh, if you guys ever want to meet the band, you know, they played my fest and I'd be happy to connect you. And at the time, Owen was a really little boy. I think I'd taken him to see the band once, like he was eight. And he had gone with me to the Klein Auditorium in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So this was right around that time, maybe. So like maybe seven years ago. And I said to Paul, oh, Owen's really shy. He's a little kid. I don't think he's going to want to be able to, as a little shy kid, meet, meet these guys in this professional band. Because Owen had been playing piano at that point since he was like six. And everybody was calling him a prodigy and so forth. But he's a real modest, shy kid. He's even at 15, a modest, shy young man. Anyway. Fast forward to that year of 2015 when I said to Paul, you know what, if you can reach out to the guys, I think it would be great if we can meet them. So um, that's what we did the first year they played the Palace. Well, not the first year the band played the Palace necessarily, but the first year we went to see Humphreys play the Palace in Albany was 2015. And we came in early and Bobby Haight opened the back door for us and we sat through a sound check. And then afterwards, Jill Cummins and Ryan Stasek were super nice to my son, who was a 12 at the time and um, hung out with them and Joel said to Owen at the time maybe we can jam together next time he had shown Owen his whole rig his keyboards and so forth and a year later Owen did sit in with the band at a sound check and uh, a few days before Joel reached out and said what song does Owen want to play with us and Owen thought about it for a minute I think he was sitting at a drum set in our basement at the time and he said I think I should do Cemetery Walk 1 with them he had previously done a video when he was a really little kid where he played Cemetery Walk 2 and a friend of mine in the music business actually was able to forward it to the band. I think he had done that when he was maybe seven. And then when he was nine, he did a medley of about 20 different songs, including some Humphreys tunes that Kevin got a hold of that I think I'd sent to Kevin. I can't even remember. There's been so many of these experiences when he was younger. But yeah, he, he played Semwalk One, and my biggest regret is that I didn't get a good recording of it. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there, was a, if there was a recording somewhere of it. I did see. There's a great video. There's a, there's a great video recording of it. Unfortunately, like a dope. Even though I've been going to see live music for 30 plus years, when we did that um, uh, experience, whatever you want to call it, um, I, I used uh, the wrong type of recording, um, and it's so dumb of me. Um, but what are you going to do? Um, I do have good video of it, and I remember reaching out to them and the bands uh, saying that at the time that um, Jefferson, not Jefferson, I'm sorry. Um, Drawing blanks here, Chris Mitchell, rather, was not recording the soundtrack, and thus it's lost in the dustbins of history, but we have a very overmodulated recording of it that you can find excerpts of on YouTube from three years ago when my son Owen played Cemetery Walk 1 with the band, which was, like I said, a very surreal experience. So we went to two sound checks in two years, and in a second sound check, he got to go up on stage and play a song with them, which was really, really very emblematic of just one of the millions of reasons why I think we all as fans of this band love them so much. This accessibility, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Very few bands do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think Jam Bass has something, because I was like Googling different stuff, you know, working on the questions and everything, so I will link a bunch of stuff that I did find. Um, I think they have like an article about that or something. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's feeling like a lot longer than three years ago now, but Scott Bernstein over at Jam Bass had been really great about, you know, putting things on when my son would sit down and do various projects on music. Definitely. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then he did play when they canceled. What year did they cancel that show? Was it at the so that was the same year, yeah. That's why I say it's surreal. So many things were happening all kind of at once in the spring of 2016. Okay. They did a stand at the Beacon, and there was that blizzard. And those of us who were stuck in the Hotel Beacon that 
afternoon and evening on a Saturday night in 2016, really, you know, I remember my wife texting me and saying, you better find something interesting and exciting and fun for our kid to do because now you guys are snowed in the city. And I said, if there's a piano in the bar, we'll be okay. And we went down to the hotel bar in the afternoon and they had a piano and he sat down and he played like one song. And I can't remember if it was Plunger or whatever. I had to talk the bartender or the bar manager into it and they had to turn the music down in the bar. And uh, Jefferson was in the bar and he took a little video of Owen and he said to me afterwards that he actually felt one of the guys in the band hadn't gone back to home yet. He thought somebody in the band was playing the piano and next thing you know my kid was playing for hours and hours and hours and I just sat there trying to write down all the songs and he played probably about four hours like two sets and it was really yet again another surreal experience wow that yeah that sounds very very surreal wow that's that's very cool <laughs> when did he start showing an interest in playing music he was six. His sister was taking piano lessons. She's two and a half years older. She went on to be very interested more in vocals and sings to this day in three different vocal groups in high school where she's a senior. But at the time, she was taking piano lessons, and then he kind of just sat down, and the piano teacher would give him like five minutes, and Owen just immediately understood the piano. He could hear anything and play it. He could read music without much help. Eventually, he went on to get some formal instruction for many years in saxophone as well, taught himself rudimentary skills on the drums and guitar, but piano is still his first instrument. He plays in a group for the last several years called the Rockland Youth Jazz Ensemble, which has musicians from four different counties in New York and New Jersey, and they play pro charts, and they rehearse in a jazz club every Monday night in New York, uh, in the suburbs near where we live in New Jersey, and um, yeah, it really was an incredible, and it still continues to be an incredible um, ride. I'm just enjoying it as a parent, you know, and letting him do his thing, which has been a lot of fun to be a part of. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. That's that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> and um, I only met your son that one time very briefly recently in Albany, and it was so cool, though, watching him and Delaney during the show, just, you know, so into it and just loving it so much and appreciating the music, and it it was very, very cool. Good job. Yeah, they... Dave Levine, obviously Delaney's dad, gets these amazing photographs of all these shows that he, you know, shoots. And there's Beth, Dave's wife, and Delaney, their daughter, who's still, like, what, eight years old. And there's my son, who's 15, who's been seeing Humphrey since he's eight. And in that one little section, you get a kind of microcosm of what, again, is so amazing about the fan base of this group. You know, Humphrey's fans in the three rows in the center that night in Albany include people who are, like, you know, in elementary school and high school and their parents and fans in their 20s and 30s and even people like Al Larson from, um, I think he's up near you somewhere now. I think he moved in the upstate New York area and Al's, like, probably, like, in his 60s. And it's just incredible when you can see that snapshot of so many people from different generations all in the kind of raging the rail mode. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it's very, very cool. I recently saw a picture... I don't know what when it's from. It's from 2019, and there's like an old lady up there, and she's like. Oh yeah, I saw those too. Yes, from out west, right? I think those were taken out west recently. Yes, I saw those as well. Yep, yeah. I mean, you see it enough other bands, but because our universe is a little bit smaller, the the band, I think many times that lends to one of the reasons we all love this band so much because of the tightness of the community and the smaller nature of the shows and the intimacy of it. But yeah, you notice those things more than you will with a group. You can understand if you go to see a band that's been around for 30, 40 
50 years with their music, obviously they're going to have fans who've been going for that whole length of time. But when a band has been around, like Umph, Umphrey's for like 20, 21 years, obviously it becomes more novel when you're starting to see people from three different generations at the, at the shows. Yeah, it's, it's such a cool, cool thing. Very cool. All right, so let's switch gears now and talk about you and music. Um, we've talked in the past, and you've said that you got to see The Dead with Jerry, which is very cool. I never got that chance. Um, what, like 48 times you said? Um, we've seen Fish a Bunch. Um, so this is kind of two parts. First, briefly kind of talk about seeing the dead when Jerry was alive, you know, that kind of scene, how things have changed and how they've stayed the same, you think? Okay, so I started hearing the Grateful Dead's music in the early 80s, and I didn't get to see them live until 87, which was when the big MTV Touch of Grey broke, but that was just a coincidence. I was going to start seeing them anyway, because I was basically a freshman in college, and the access to live music became much bigger. In the prior years, I'd only been to a handful of concerts between the ages of, like, say, 13 and 17. So the Dead, to me, were like a revelation. You know, now it seems... 30 plus years later, so sort of templated with different jam bands that all sort of have the two guitars, two drummers, a keyboardist, and a bassist, which is Humphrey's format and, and, and widespread panic and many other bands and certainly the dead. Now, to that extent, the thing that was so incredible was now it seems, again, kind of pro forma, but back then, what a novelty to go to a band three, four, five, as much as I did seven shows in a row at the dead at one point when I had the time when I was a young person and... Um, yeah, you know, you'd see very few repeats. You had the taper element where you had all the people brought in the Nakamichi Dragons and the Dat tapes when those first broke and you'd wait for the audience tapes. There was no internet yet. You didn't get a media sea of downloads of soundboard quality music. You'd wait a month to get an audience recording that sounded like it was done over someone's payphone. But you did it because that was the quality back then. And the uh, community obviously was enormous. You'd be going to all these giant NFL football stadiums in the summer and these NBA and NHL arenas in the fall and the spring. But that was an incredible time. And even last night, driving home, I had the Grateful Dead channel on satellite radio driving home. And I'm listening to a show that they were playing from 30 years ago, 31 years ago. And I'm getting tears in my eyes listening to this incredible Uncle John's into playing in the band jam that just partially brings back memories of those days and partially just seems even now, 23 years after Garcia passed away, still such a, uh, you know, a real thing to me. It grabbed at me and it made me interested in more and more bands that play improvisational music and don't repeat songs and make it interesting for the fans and come up with all these different reasons why you would want to go see a band many, many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> that was an amazing answer. That was that was amazing. Thanks. Thanks. So the second part of that, um, you mentioned when we talked that for you going to a show at now is more quality over quantity. And I agree with that 100%. My husband and I talk about that a lot. Um, explain what that means to you. Yeah, I mean, show counts are wonderful things for us to pursue as fans of a band, not about a competition with anyone else to say, I've been to more shows than you with regard to whatever band you go to see your bands. However, you get to a stage in life, as you personally know, as I know, as some of our sort of friends we've met in this 
fan base know. Um, you go, I got to get up early and coach soccer tomorrow. I can't go to see a band play tonight. I have to take my kid to karate. My daughter's now a black belt and teaching at a karate school. But what was I going to do? Miss those things? Miss coaching my kids' soccer teams for a dozen years? Miss going to musical events that they were performing at? And even now, so you say, oh my God, over the last 18 almost years since I've been a parent, is more important for me to catch every single band that comes around that I could get to within a stone's throw of where I live? Or work, or is it more important to be there for my kids' school and other events? And that's where you go quality over quantity. So you enjoy each experience. And I even made a conscious effort, even though I knew about Humphreys McGee, just as an example, and I knew their music uh, passively, like, you know, kind of like casually for many years before I made a conscious effort to start listening. That happened a lot with a lot of bands. You know, I'm all in usually. So if I dig in, I'm going to dig in deep. And then I'm going to say, how many shows can I get to? And when my kid and I could go to Together, it was more important for me and him to find a calendar date on a Saturday when he could get up at a certain hour and so forth and go to a band like Humphreys and, you know, versus doing a whole run, which for me at this stage of my life is just out of the question. I'll be 50 this year. I got a lot of practice to run two kids in high school, but that's fine. I, I have no, I, if you ever read the book Tuesdays with Maury, there's that wonderful sort of perspective of, I had a time to be 18 and 19 and be able to drop everything and go follow a band unencumbered for two weeks and go 1,400 miles round trip and see seven nights in a row. And God bless the kids who can do it now. I think it's amazing. But, you know, it's quality over quantity for sure right now. I enjoy the hell out of every single time I see this band because the music's fucking amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how my husband and I are, too. You know, we plan it out. And, you know, like this year, we're finally getting a chance to go to Red Rocks. But, you know, it, it's something that we've been planning for months, you know, and, and putting it into place and making it happen. But, you know, it's, it had to be the right time. You know, my kids are various ages and they all had to be, you know, okay with me going to Denver for a few days, you know. So, absolutely. No question. No question. I mean, we did the Colorado trip as a family, and it just so happened because my wife had heard me say for so many years, let's do the Colorado trip, that she kind of surprised me to some extent last summer and said, I looked at the calendar and the kids are off from school and they don't leave yet for camp. So let's do it in this such and such week. And it was late June of last summer. And just so happened widespread who I've been listening to since the nineties happened to be doing a three night run. And we went one of the nights. And then of course we made it a family trip where we did Boulder and, and, and uh, whatchamacallit, the, the, the famous park, which I'm drawing a blank on right now with the famous rock formations at the minute we get off the phone, it's going to hit me. But you know, I mean, it's just an incredible trip, Denver, Boulder, various other sites. And, of course, getting to go to Morrison and finally, after 30 years plus of knowing that this incredible facility exists where back in the day all the other bands I enjoyed seeing. And eventually I'll get out there, too, like you're going. So good for you. I think you and your husband will have an amazing trip out there. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, everybody always can say not enough things about how incredible um, Red Rocks is, for sure. Yeah, I'm so it's, it's going to be amazing. Um, so, excuse me. So let's talk about how we were first introduced to Umphreys. Um, was there someone specifically that introduced you to them or was it just from the fact that you were already listening to jam music? The latter for sure. I've just always engrossed 
in like so much information pre-internet, certainly, or net 1.0, when there were still message boards and rec.music, whatever band you liked, and so forth. And I was aware that this band, Humphreys McGee, came on the scene. In fact, I was at Martyrs, the club in Chicago, in the year 2000, and I happened to be there for an immigration law conference in Chicago. So, of course, I went to Martyrs for a couple nights, and I saw like the Dark Star Orchestra back then. And I go looking on all things Humphreys, and I discovered not too long thereafter, Humphreys did play at uh, Martyrs, like maybe a couple weeks after I was there at that summer in 2000. And I knew, I remember when they did uh, appearances on uh, one of the late night shows, I guess it was Jimmy Kimmel. And again, for me, it's kind of like if I'm going to check out a band, I feel like I tend to get all in with their music and decide how all in I'm going to be and varying experiences with that. Like I enjoyed seeing Spring She's Incident many, many years ago, and I saw them a couple of nights and was aware of their music, but it just didn't reach out to me across, although I enjoy parts of their experience a lot. Mo was very similar. I caught Mo very early on, and I was aware of Humphreys, but I was busy with my wife being a mom and a dad and, and a parent and, and foremost and a lawyer and a husband and a father and all those things. So when I made a conscious choice to finally really get in with them, I started listening to them in depth, I'd say about 10 years ago maybe, 09 or 010, and then I said, you know what, I'm going to wait to see my first show if I can take my kid, and that's how that first time I decided to wait consciously till the summer of 2012. Even though I'd been listening on Fritz McGee for a number of years at that point, and I took Owen when he was eight, and the aforementioned experience of going to our first Humphrey show together, which I think was cool that my first show was also his, not just first Humphrey show, but his first real rock show as well. That's very, very cool. So after that first show with your son, when did you like have this feeling that you were definitely going to be seeing them again? Oh, right away. I mean, I knew it. At set break, uh, my son standing on a chair because he was so short, and he turned to me and my friend Rob, who was with me the night, actually, I saw you at the Brooklyn Steel shows recently, a buddy of mine for many, many years, and he looked at the two of us, and he's like, Dad, Rob, you know, and he's a little eight-year-old kid. He goes, this is better than watching it on YouTube. <laughs> and I was like, Rob said to him, that's why we do this, kid, and it's like, you know, there you go. I mean, but I would consciously decide when to plan them out, and I'm only at like 17 now, but I'm, in a, I'm not in a competition. I don't care. Uh, you know, I'll get to as many shows as I want, but like we're saying, you know, to me, it's not about it. I, God bless, like I said earlier, the people who can go to a lot of shows, but I, I don't care. I, if I get to see them a few times a year, that's all good. You know, uh, time will tell how many shows I get to, and I'm certainly not trying to compete with myself to see where I can get with it. I've been fortunate enough to see probably in aggregate somewhere in the neighborhood of probably close to 600 live performances by musical acts of one kind or another in the last 35 plus years, and that encompasses an unbelievable list of musicians and acts that we don't need to get into in the time we have today. But I've seen virtually anyone I wanted to see. I've been fortunate enough to, to see, with the exception of a few who passed away, obviously. I've been very lucky to, to see a lot of bands. And that's, I mean, that in itself, I mean, personally for me, I mean, you know, I everybody knows I love Humphreys. But being able to have that resume of people that you've seen play live is just, that is such an accomplishment, I, I think, you know, and especially for me now, like I say to my husband, I want to see these bands, you know, like Fleetwood Mac is coming, I'm, we're going to see Fleetwood Mac, you know, Elton John came, like I want to see these people play because they're not going to be around, you know, and who knows anymore really, you know, the way that things go, you know, so it's like I want to see this music live, you know, while I still, you know, do have the chance, so. 
No doubt, no doubt. You know, and I think you're about 15 years younger than me, so it's all kind of where you get on the bus, as we would say in the Grateful Dead jargon, and you get on that bus and you never get off. You are always on the bus. There's always another show, and you have to just decide, what do I have going on in my life? And you you, you decide at that point where the bus will take you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. That's a, that's a beautiful analogy. Um, so... Speaking of getting on the bus, how far have you traveled to see Umphreys? Is that Red Rocks? I didn't do Red Rocks for Umphreys. I did oh, widespread. Right. widespread yeah. Umphreys has been a tri-state area thing for me because they play so many damn shows and we're so fortunate as fans of their music that they play many more nights a year than a lot of the bands that maybe people would be going to see. Um, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut have been basically able, I've been able to see, I think, all my shows. I may be missing one or two, but I think I've done all my shows within a few hours of the house. You know, Albany's shot. It's less than two hours. It's where I went to college 30-plus years ago. I love the Palace Theater. I've had some amazing experiences there. Um, you know, Central Park Summer Stage, The Beacon, The Cap, uh, Stone Pony. When they used to play The Client in Bridgeport, I saw them there a couple of times. I'm probably missing a couple others. But that's the thing that you get as a fan of improvisational or jam band music living in the Northeast. My friends who live in Florida and stuff, who I've stayed in touch with from my school days back 30 years ago, always say we get always left off the map with a lot of our bands, including Umphreys, although Umphreys is good enough to, because they tour so much. They do hit Florida. But if you live in the New York area, as you you know, whether you're upstate like you are or me on the New York, New Jersey border, you can throw a rock in any direction a few hours away. And you, for me, traveling is not the issue. If I had the time, I would travel further. I flew with California from New York to see the dead play a New Year's run more than 30 years ago. It's just time now. Like my late father used to say, you're going to reach a point in your life where time is your greatest commodity. And now that's what it's about, time. I don't have the time, but when I make time for it, it's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, we're lucky coming up next weekend. Um, the band will be in Pittsburgh and then they'll be in Cleveland. And both of those are like three hours from us. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. For sure. Either south, west, you know, either way, we're kind of in the middle. So we are definitely very blessed. Um, so where is one place um, that is on your Umphreys bucket list? I mean, it. I feel like it becomes a cliche for fans who've never done Red Rocks to say Red Rocks. So, you know, I could say Red Rocks, but, you know, in a fantasy league universe, and I'm somebody who's been interested in fantasy sports, and I never did the fantasy jam band thing. I know some people do that, but let's just play that game for a minute. In a perfect world, it would be awesome for them to be booked to just do a private gig, like, uh, you know, that you could almost book and, like, invite your friends or whatever. I mean, that if I'm bucket listing, yeah. why the hell not? right in my own promotion right like put on my own festival in my backyard or something and ask those guys to come because the joke when my son got bar mitzvah a few years ago a few people was there you're going to have these guys play the bar mitzvah and i'm like i think they're a little bigger than that now but you know everybody knows about when umphreys has privately played a friend's wedding or fish privately played a friend's wedding and these are the kinds of places your mind goes when you're going to be 50 years old this year you're kind of thinking in those terms you never know right Absolutely. You know what? That's great because I've asked quite a few people that question and thinking back on it now, I think pretty much everybody that hasn't done Red Rocks has said Red Rocks, but I like your answer because you're right. If we are bucket listing, like this is, we're going big. <laughs> so I love that. Why the hell not? Why in the hell not? Let's, let's, 
you know, one day, right? Like everybody who's all in with this group, reach out to the guys and be like, all right, let's make it worth your guys' while. You guys have kids to put through college too. So, you know, everybody wins. Everybody could just come and not have to deal with talkers. My least favorite thing in the world. I could do a whole podcast. Mine too. About pod- oh, my God. The first two nights of the Brooklyn I'll just go off real quick about this. The first two nights of the Brooklyn run were awful. I don't know if these chompers, chompers, chompers. Yeah, yeah, the chompers. I, I'm in a Facebook Facebook group called, you know, what is it? Something like, you know, shut up and dance or whatever. I mean, it's been a problem. It's nothing you can do about it at the end of the day, other than move or get a good set of ear ear earbuds or whatever that kind of reduce the sound and protect your ears and hopefully kind of remove the interference of your enjoyment of the music from people around you who might be talking. One one cure for that certainly is to ride the rail but not everybody's a rail rider. I ride the rail probably most Humphrey shows I go to. I try to get on the rail, and certainly you don't have to worry about people talking up there. But if you want to enjoy a show from another vantage point in the venue, it really sucks if people talk. But what are you going to do? It's an ongoing problem with all live music. For sure. And I am a rail rider, too, but I'm a good wife because my husband does not like the rail at all. So <laughs> we always we kind of try to find a really good spot and hang back a little bit. Um but I, I love the intensity of the rail. I do. But it's, yes. it's a little too much for him. Once in a while, I can get him to do like a set or something. But that's the nice thing about summer camp. Uh, he'll kind of, you know, he'll hang back and find a spot. And he's just like, just go. Just <laughs> do what you're doing. Come back later. I got it. I got it. I got it. Totally. Totally got it. Mm. So being a lawyer, um, I'm sure that there are stigmas you know, kind of opinions that people have about lawyers or maybe how they're supposed to act, quote unquote, I guess. So when people find out that, you know, you followed the dead and went to these shows and seen so many fish shows and, you know, these things, you know, what is like the reaction you get from people in your day-to-day life? In the, my in my profession, because this music has been around, improvisational jam music has been around long enough, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of good people over the years. I had a friend years ago who's an immigration lawyer, maybe retired by now, I haven't seen him in a while, but he got to see the dead at the Fillmore East, you know, like, like in 1970 or whatever. And so I've met a number of people along the way, and I know a lot of people along the way who do like the almonds and their progeny, or the dead and their progeny and so forth. So I've met a lot of cool people. But sure, you know, if you, like me, are a parent living in a particular community, working in whatever space you work in, you know you can go weeks of your life without having even the inkling of a person-to-person, face-to-face discussion with your neighbors or your colleagues in your profession or whatever about this music that we love, because what's the likelihood? I once saw a guy at like my town pool wearing a Rage Rest Repeat Humphreys t-shirt. I went up to him and started talking. I realized he'd seen him a couple times, but he wasn't a huge fan, and that used to happen 30 years ago when you'd see somebody wearing a tie-dye or steal your face. Not everybody's all in, but you do find, I think, that most people just are, are like either they know what it is or they don't. And most of the time they don't. And that's why people have the Internet, right? Right. Right. Um, so share one way that Umphreys has inspired you in your personal life. Huh. Um, I did a book four years ago called Three Degrees of Law, and I did a section in there called Humphrey's Law, and I related their accessibility and fan-friendly mentality as an artist 
group of artists rather with their fan base to something that I believe can work for you in your personal life, whether it's me as an attorney trying to have a particular level of responsiveness with my clients or anyone in any area of life, really. There's something to be said for the fact that they take their extra time out. Joel Cummins was kind enough to spend time with my kid on more than one occasion and talk with him about music and play music with him, the rest of the guys in the band equally. Um, and I mentioned Joel in specific because he just did your podcast recently. They don't have to do this stuff, but they do it. They're not doing it to score points. They're not doing it to gross revenue higher or whatever. They're doing it because they love what they do and they love sharing this experience of the music and everything that comes along with it with this incredibly dedicated group of people. So that's probably where my mind is at in terms of how that kind of is the, uh, I guess, the best way to answer your question for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is what's so cool is I talk about the experience of interviewing Joel. Like I, I did that in my living room while I was making soup and bread bowls in my kitchen for my family. <laughs> right? So exactly. It's real to me to be sitting in my living room and Joel taking this time. Like they had just done the Canopy Club show the night before. They were doing a show right. at night. You know, yep. he had taken. 30 minutes, which that's 30 minutes he could have spent talking to his wife on the phone, you know, like, or whatever, you know, taking a nap, like, whatever, like, but he took that time and talked to me, just some mom who's doing this thing, you know, and it, it, it meant a lot to me, like, just those simple little, you know, things, because like you said earlier, your time is so valuable. You know, just, yeah, just, yeah. I, I, I try, I try not to bother those guys because I had had the wonderful experience of this almost unique deal. Where as a dad, I'm sitting in an empty theater watching my kid play with them, and I try in the last few years not to, you know, reach out to them very frequently because I'm mindful of the fact that they're on the road, they work their asses off, they've got families just like we do, and all that. And once in a blue moon, I'll reach out. And I said to Joel, you know, we were having a blast on the rail at Albany a month or two ago, whatever it was. Now, and he actually got. Back Back to me, he's like, I could see Owen raging on the rail, and it was really cool to see him doing that. And just the mere fact that he can spot us individually out there, all of us people who, who love this music. And you see it, like I remember a couple of years ago when they were in the city, I didn't go, but I know a lot of people did, and they did like a Q&A, and a bunch of fans who are always talking about this band on, online and stuff. And they know a lot of these people by a first-name basis. Joel showed up to an after-party for one of the fans of this group's bands recently. I mean, on and on it goes. There's so many examples. I know the early days of summer camp and the summer school experience that I wrote about also in my book, and how summer school worked when Humphrey still did that. And just how um, in-depth they go with their fans to really break that wall between what otherwise would be, quote-unquote, being whatever level of, quote-unquote, rock star versus the fan on the other side of the wall. And there is no such thing here. We, we interact with this group about as much as any band has ever interacted with its fans and vice versa, probably in, in the history of music. You know, I can't think of too many other bands that have that kind of an experience. Absolutely. And I think that helps them, too. Like, I've thought about this because I love reading uh, biographies about musicians and you know you read so many things about these rock stars and you know their lives and you know so many stories and things that happen and I think that first of all you know the guys in Umphreys are not those kind of guys anyways you know they're very down to earth they're just good guys Um, but I think having the relationship with the fans I think that helps 
you know, I kind of keep them grounded in a way. I guess kind of keep, you know, the rock starness not, you know, so crazy and, and whatever. I think having kind of like this family community kind of, you know, keeps it, keeps it close knit and small. No, no question about it. The only band I would see in any great quantity, and probably the one band I saw most of all in my life now that I think on it, that had a similar, and now they're retired, they only do a few reunion gigs a year, the New Orleans Radiators, who played live for 33 years and did thousands of shows and had an unbelievable catalog of music. They really were kind of ahead of their time. I always was wondering what would have happened if they'd come along a little later. They started in 78, and I, living in New Orleans for a few years, got to see the Radiators a lot. But that's the one band that kind of I think of in the same way that I think of Humphreys, because they had such a close-knit experience with their fans and were very involved, um, but a large chunk of that time was spent before the net became what it is today and social media and stuff. But yeah, there aren't a lot of bands that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you pick a favorite Umphrey song? I know this is hard for a lot of people, but... No, I, I, it's easy for me. It's two by two. I mean, to me, that's my go-to with this band. I don't even listen to it that much because I don't want to overplay it. I'm like that with their music. I play it in rations, you know, because I'm like, if I play too many versions of this song or that song, I know there are people out there, they dissect and they vote for the Hall of Fame. For me, I can't do that because if I overplay any of these songs, I'm going to be like, oh, I, I need to take a break. And eventually I'll take, like with some of the other bands I love, like a year off, not consciously, but I'll just be like, i got to put this music on the shelf for a little while. But two by two is definitely like, I don't even have to think about that. That's my favorite Humphreys McGee song. Nice. Um, do you have a favorite album? Gun to Head, I'd say Mantis. I don't listen to the albums that much, but when I think about it, I mean, yeah, Mantis probably would be where my head would be at. Yeah. Um, so if you could choose a cover that Umphreys has not done yet, what would it be? Oh, a song that they have never performed live on stage that would be a cover? Yeah. Uh, probably Watermelon and Easter Hay by Frank Zappa. Um, I don't know that they'll ever do it because there was this sort of um, atmosphere or whatever around that song. I think there was some uh, legend about Zappa not wanting that song necessarily to be played anymore. Although I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm Googling while I'm talking to you if maybe Dweezil has played that song since Frank passed. And that's one of the only shows I missed. I had that ticket to see Frank Zappa at the very same Palace Theater where we were just talking about seeing Humph. And uh, there you go. You know, Zappa was playing the Palace not long before he actually got sick and passed away. And I got sick with just a flu when I was a young kid starting to see live music. But uh, to the point, Watermelon and Easter Hay is one of the most amazing pieces of uh, instrumental music ever composed. And I think Humphreys McGee could handle that and put it on and make everybody get very teary-eyed. That's very cool. I'm not familiar with that song at all. I wrote that down. I'm going to listen to that now after we're done talking because beautiful piece of music. I'm not familiar with that. Um, okay, I've got uh, two more questions here for you. Um, sure. What does being an umfreak parent mean to you? It was just and continues to be a thing that I can do, particularly with my son. My daughter's a good sport, and she's seen, as I said earlier, some shows with us, but her mind and her ears are kind of with a different type of music and she sings a lot like I say but for me and my kid who's getting to be a big man now almost 16 whatever you know that's something that we can share with one another over the years and 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 uh that that's really one of the first places my mind goes with this band like that I got to share and continue to get to share some live experiences with my son I just I love that so much I'm so glad we were able to talk about you and 
your husband, your uh, your son, and your uh, your relationship together, and and the music, and because those are things my dad and I listened to so much music. He passed away in 2006, um, but there's so much stuff that I listen to that you know takes me back to those moments with my dad. You know, sitting there, and you know, he's the one that taught me how to use a record player, and you know, all these things. So it's. Those are amazing memories that the two of you are are making together. That's that's so. Amazing. Without question, yeah, and I and I appreciate where you come from. I'm sorry about your father. Mine passed away in that same time frame that your dad passed away. We both lost our dads way too early. It sounds like. Yeah, definitely. He was only like 52, so it was definitely definitely a sad sad thing. And my oldest was only like two years old, so unfortunately, he didn't get to. Uh, Meet his grandchildren, but I'm fairly... Now, same for us. Unfortunately, my wife and I lost our dads when our kids were really too young to remember their grandfathers, but you have your memories and all that, so this is where you move forward, right? Absolutely. All right, so last question for you. Um, describe Umphreys for me in three words. Whew. Uh... It, 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 the, for not wanting to eat up a lot of time while I try to do that, I'm going to just say, let's do it with one word. And I'm stealing from the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and I'm just going to say what I said a minute ago and go, woo! Not at a show, but I'll say it in an interview. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Um, so that's everything I have. Is there anything that you, uh, you want to share, add, talk about, anything else? I will just add that I think you're doing an incredible thing with this project, Sarah. It takes a lot of chutz, but to decide you're going to do a podcast about the experience of being a fan of this music. You've already had the opportunity to interview some really incredible people who are in this band and around this band and their fan base. And I think that you should keep doing it and keep going with it because you can just, in first and foremost, feel the satisfaction and enjoyment and enthusiasm you bring to it, which is so obvious. And, you know, you did it, and you're going to keep doing it. And I think that's the one thing I want to add because not everybody follows through on a plan or a dream, but you're doing that. And that's the one thing I would share with you um, more than anything. So God bless for doing this and keep doing it. Thank you. I'm going to, like, cry. That was so sweet of you to say. Thank you. Thank you, really. That's, that, that really, really means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I've had a wonderful time doing this. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, listen, I can't wait to hear it when it's done. Hopefully I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> no, you were awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Have an awesome day. You too. Bye-bye. So that's all I have for this episode of the pod. Anything that was referenced during my chat with Harlan can be found in the show notes, including where you can purchase a copy of his book, Three Degrees of Law. And if you have any questions or comments about anything talked about in this episode or any other episode, um, if you have any suggestions for podcast episodes or know of someone that should be featured, please feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you guys and doing these interviews and meeting you and talking to all of you has just been so much fun and so awesome and I've made so many new friends. So definitely feel free to contact me. 
Um, yeah, and that's everything. So thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to listen. I will see you around these parts next week. Much obliged.